Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to GCSE Revision Pod, the language pod round two. Yep, so for those of you listening, we are specifically focusing this on AQA English language, mm. um, but obviously some of the skills that we study may be appropriate for other exam boards. I like that you address those of you listening. I mean, I don't know who else would be, uh, would be hearing that. <laughs> it's but early it's, in the morning. It's good to be specific. Those of you not listening, uh, yeah. well, you can go yeah, away. We hate you. <laughs> okay, so they question... That, not uh, this, is the, this is the paradox of the whole thing, isn't it? So question three uh, for AQA language paper one absolutely last episode we looked purely at question two now we are moving on to purely question three it is worth saying that with this episode more so than usual it's really really important that you work with the handout it's always important that you work with the handout but particularly today we are going to be working with the whole extract we don't really have time in the podcast to read the entire extract out so it is crucial that as well as listening you've also downloaded the handout from the bio so you can follow exactly what we're doing and for the purpose of this episode even if you're listening on your phone you could just click on the link in the podcast if you're listening on itunes or if you're listening on spotify you could paste out the link and put it into your browser and um, and have it up as you as you listen yeah. just because um, we'll give you we'll tell you when to pause but it's really important for question three that you've read the whole thing because we're looking at structure exactly today. last lesson last podcast sorry we zoomed you right in we talked about being forensic we talked about going in for an incredibly close micro analysis of the uh, of language. the language that's used for question two for question two now you need to take a step right back and you need to look at the shape the overall arc and flow of the entire piece yeah. right so the first thing to start with is actually what's the difference between language and structure because lots and lots of students get these confused lots of and as a result lose lots of marks so i mean let's start with the before we even get to that though let's quickly kind of start with the basics it's worth eight marks mm-hmm. so again like question two you only really want to spend about 12 to 15 minutes you do not want to cry a perfect response over 30 minutes mm. at the expense of the other questions, questions four and five. 12 to 15 minutes, including reading time. Including reading time. Although, obviously, you, you probably would have read the whole the whole text at the beginning, um, at the beginning which of would it. mean so, you'd have slightly less so, so you yeah, have approximately around that approximately time. 12 yeah. to 15 so um, one of the key messages and this is on your handout I put this on the top tips for analysing the structure of an extract one of the key messages from the exam board so yeah. uh, reading the examiner's reports from AQA is make sure you don't overcomplicate things yeah on the basic level what you're considering when you're talking about the structure of a text is where do things happen what happens and why does it happen there? Absolutely. Where does the writer shift your focus? I think actually thinking visually yeah. can really help with this question. Imagining like a cameras, uh, yeah. you know, uh, imagining the cameras following. What what is the camera focusing on in each? So, if this extract was a film, where is the camera pointing, and when does it? More importantly, when does it change yeah. and why? So things you might look in on. When does it zoom in from something big to something small? Is there a sudden or gradual introduction of new characters? Does it move from the inside to the wider world? 
Um, does it combine external actions with internal thoughts? Does it switch between different points of view? Is there anything that repeats or is developed? Or is there anything that you read later on that explains something you read at the beginning that changes your understanding of what mm-hmm. you've already read? Is there perhaps a circular structure? Does it return to what you looked at at the beginning, at the end? Uh, are there any sentences that have an impact on the piece as a whole? Are there any sentences that can kind of encapsulate, sum up everything that's in the passage? Mm-hmm. So examiners are looking for words that will indicate a focus on structure these are things like at the start in the middle at this point later Mm. but obviously you don't get marks for simply identifying structural devices what you've got to do as we said is where does things shift what do they shift to but most importantly why why does the writer do it and in terms of the why you need to avoid those awful sentences like this makes the reader read on this catches the reader's attention Mm. Um, um, and you want to be specific and when I'm talking about the why just like question two actually I think about what does it reveal about characters yeah. What does it read about themes? What does it foreshadow? So set up about something that will happen later in the story? Mm. Um, or, um, you know, what does it say about the tone of the piece? So try and be as specific as you can. Exactly. Looking at those things, taking that step back and looking for those big moments is crucial here. You are not going to have time to comment on every tiny little shift in the uh, in the extract. You are looking for the big moments of change, the big transitions, and thinking at the forefront of your mind, why did the writer choose to do this at this point? Yeah, and my advice would be, think something from the beginning, something from the middle, and do look at the last few sentences. Mm. There's always, there's generally something interesting in that very last paragraph. How does the writer end? Why do they end like that? So yes. I've, I've put here like a possible structure. The truth is, um, I would probably write slightly shorter paragraphs for this than maybe mm. some of your other answers. And each paragraph I'd focus on a different kind of structural feature. Yes. Gives you a really easy way to organise your answer. So we're talking probably at least three paragraphs, three short paragraphs, mm-hmm. beginning, middle and end. But you might have four if there's more interesting structural features. And actually the examples we've given are quite long, aren't they? They're possibly longer than you would create in the actual exam but what we've tried to show you is everything you kind of could say of, uh, of value. Yes. And actually what you need to do, the most important thing is practice writing what you are able to write in time conditions and tailoring your response because actually if you didn't have time to write about four structural features, cut one of them out and write yeah. about three. Do, much do better well to than... do Much better to do fewer examples but do them in loads of detail than to skim over everything. 100%. So um, if we look at my part on the sheet on says how to structure a response, some things to look at. I put a series of questions on here, things to ask the text as you read it. So it's incredibly important you're doing something I call active reading, mm-hmm. which is as you read, you get a pen in your hand or a highlighter and you're annotating and underlining things that jump out at you. So mm-hmm. I would probably start my question three with an, if there is an overall structural thing that you notice, mention it. So if, for example, there is a turning point, a shift, Mm-hmm. Um, a transition from one thing to another. You could start with a sentence kind of explaining that. Or it, tension builds. Or tension or builds towards a climax. The flashbacks yeah. are used to clarify why the character is there yeah. or whatever, whatever but, the overarching but thing equally, is. equally, if you don't spot something overall, it's absolutely fine just to start by looking at the beginning. Yeah. So how does the extract begin? What does this set up about the story? Does it foreshadow anything? So does it predict anything that was come? Does it create a sense of equilibrium? That means there's no tension. Is there a false sense of equilibrium? So we think things are okay, but this turns out to be false or is there disequilibrium is there loads of tension is someone shooting at him right from the start of the story <laughs> it's a good place to start yeah. from is is it told in chronological order so mm-hmm. in time order or yeah. are there any flashbacks or flash forwards and i've put the fancy greek words on your sheet but again you don't get marks for terminology no um uh is if it's told in the first person does the narrator seem reliable do mm-hmm. we trust them yeah so 
Your next We're going to pa- come on to that with one of our yeah, examples definitely. today, aren't we? So paragraph, once you've kind of done that first paragraph, you won't talk about all of those different questions. What, you're, what you've got to decide as, a, as an individual sickness exam is which of those questions are most interesting. Yeah. So if there's a flashback, you're looking at that. If there's an unreliable narrator, you're looking at that. Mm-hmm. But you're thinking, why does the, the writer start by doing that? Yes. So it's all about why do they start? Not, uh, it's not about the features, it's about why do they start with it. So then each paragraph will be anytime something changes. Mm-hmm. That's a new paragraph. So um, paragraph two, are there any shifts in perspective? And they could be things from like perspective, big place to small places. Yeah, yeah it could be, is there any, is there any repetition? Mm-hmm. Um, is, are there any moments of foreshadowing? Right, that's hinting at things that might come in the future. Um, quite an interesting one. Are there any motifs, like symbols that are repeated again right. and again? Is light used again and again yeah. to represent love? I don't know who would do that, but yeah. <laughs> Silly Shakespeare. <laughs> um, ha- um, you know, as as the extract goes on, this is perhaps my favourite one, um, is does anything that you read change your understanding of what you've already read? A great mm. paragraph would be, um, you know, it's only in paragraph three that we realise blah, 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 yes. about um, yeah. him. And then perhaps the end of this, how does the extract end? What are the last lines or words? Why are they significant? What do they encapsulate, sum up about the piece? Mm. Does it end with a new sense of equilibrium, a false equilibrium? Um, does it have a circular structure? Does the ending mirror the beginning? But above all, I've put this in capital letters on your sheet. Every paragraph is, does anything change? So what? Why has the writer made these choices? Absolutely. If you keep that in the forefront of your mind, you will do okay. And really think, just think you're almost almost physically moving back from the thing that you're reading. You know, you actually want to see the whole shape of the piece on the on the page, looking at when the changes happen in terms of where they are in the extracts even can be quite valuable. So really discipline yourself to move away from that close focused analysis yeah. and take in the overall extract. Yeah. So we're not looking in at the connotations of words of this question. No. Nope. We're zooming out and saying, why does the writer begin by focusing on that particular thing? Mm-hmm. Why does the writer begin by doing this? Why do things change and where do we end up? And what do they reveal about character, theme, big ideas? Exactly. So the first question, question three, is an extract from a wonderful novel by Hilary Mantel, which you should read when your exams are over. Um, It's all about this man named Thomas Cromwell, who is in the court of King Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is an extract from the very beginning of the novel. Um, Here, they have spent the day hunting with hawks and horses, so hawks are birds of prey, um, and the hawks are named after Cromwell's dead family. Here's a top tip, um, uh, listeners. I did this with a mock in class last year, thankfully, not this year, and um, students in my class failed to read that top bit, Mm. and they thought that the hawks were his dead family. Right. They thought it was a supernatural tale about a man who's given birth to baby to, to like birds it was weird yeah uh, weird and screwed up it would so, be potentially a good book. oh great book yeah. but my point being is in this exam a top tip is make sure there will always be that bit at the top in a little box saying what is it summarising what the source is about yeah that's Read a lot of your work for you so carefully because mm. it will tell you um, even if you're finding the extract difficult to understand it will tell you what it's all about yes now as I said we aren't going to read the extract out for you because it's relatively long and we'll go go on too long in terms of the podcast but please whatever you're doing wherever you're listening please pause now go to the handout and look at example a read the extract from bring up the bodies and then rejoin us once you are done Welcome back. If you didn't listen to it, we are going to summarise it, but you will not get as much from it as you would do if you've read it. 
So um, let's start by summarising what happens in each paragraph, just so you have an idea, then we'll analyse it and see what we could analyse. So it begins with the sentence, his children are falling from the sky. But it it becomes clear as the the paragraph goes on that the children he's referring to are these birds of prey, these hawks, that are named after his dead family. Mm. So um, he is going hunting with hawks, so that's using hawks to hunt little birds. Um, and And he's hunting with Henry VIII. Yes. So um, he begins by describing this violent world of what they've done this summer, the hawks kind of ripping apart these little birds, um, mm. and how much they've enjoyed doing that. In they've been sun. having a great time, haven't they? The, the men of the court with their king. It's all been... It's so all this been is how they relaxed in, enjoyment. The, in the 16th century. Yeah. Um, and then the passage moves. They return to the palace at Whitehall, mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, and the protagonist um, Cromwell talks about how he's going to do his real work when the king's gone to bed he's going to do his paperwork Mm, and also I think we get this um, before that slightly we get a um, description of how simple the hawks' lives are which is quite interesting I think it's it's kind of juxtaposed we're not analysing it yet sir we'll get on to that (laughs) I will will hold back Uh, and then the extract ends with um, uh, this moment as the sun's setting he's standing next to Henry VIII outside um um, out, out, outside and you know the, he realises it's the end of the summer it's the start of the autumn it's a time of change mm. so the question is this extract has been taken from the start of a novel how has the writer structured the text to interest you as a reader what does the writer focus your attention on at the beginning of the source how and why the writer changes this focus as the source develops and are there any other structural features that interest you cool Very, and this is actually the material that AQA published in terms of the exam itself so this is exactly the kind of extract you could be given and the kind of question you could be given there is a slight trick in the wording of the question when it says to interest you as a reader avoid in your explanation (laughs) simply saying thus interests me as a reader because yeah um, you know, you want to be precise. Mm-hmm. That what is what's the writer setting up about the characters and the themes um, that makes it interesting? Socially so, as well, don't just say I didn't find it interesting. It's not if you yeah. didn't find it interesting, fine. But how did the writer try to make it interesting? What and the also, the truth is, it will have been interesting. So it's, it's yeah. so you're focusing on the writer and not yourself. What is the writer doing, and why are they doing the things that they're doing? Yeah, forget about whether they were successful in terms of you personally. <laughs> what have they done? Yeah, so. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is, um, you know, what does what is focused on at the beginning of this extract, and what might we analyse? So, first of all, your your attention is taken to the what what I described as the brutal majesty of the birds. So, these birds are by token both wonderfully uh, sort of beautiful, graceful beings, but also these kind of vicious killers, right? And I wonder if there's an element of foreshadowing in there that perhaps um, there are difficult times ahead. And or that there's some kind of conflict to come, perhaps. And then also, interestingly, the concept of them being named after Cromwell's wife and children is brought in. What kind of tone does that create? Yeah, because I think there's a really important point. I'll, I'll look at how we can word this in a moment. But I think a really important structural point is the fact that it begins with this sentence, his children are falling from the sky. Uh, we learn, of course, that these hawks are named for his dead family. Mm-hmm. And this becomes good. There's this strange tone, therefore, this almost mournful tone. Um, in, in, in the extract that becomes this is not simply about a man celebrating the court of Henry VIII it's actually a man who's also suffered a personal loss and there's this juxtaposition between the freedom of the birds flying yes. high in the air and the bones of his family that he describes as being sunk in London clay. That's a fantastic point, isn't it? You've got the, if you imagine the visual aspect of it, the freedom yeah. of the sky combined with the um, 
the permanence of your bones being yeah. in the earth. So we could kind of phrase that in an analysis by saying the writer begins by focusing the reader's attention on the brutal majesty of the birds. Mm. By making the hawks the initial focus of the piece, the reader immediately understands they might have some deeper significance. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the way they combine beauty with the instinct of a merciless killer foreshadows something about the characters watching them hunt or about the nature of the court of Henry VIII. Yet equally, it's important to note that, given we later learn the Burns are named after Cromwell's wife, sister and children who have all died, the apparent freedom of the Hawks is clearly juxtaposed with the grim reality that his family are, in fact, now buried, sunk in London clay. And the complexity continues, doesn't it? Because as we move on, the tone changes when we move from the the skies to the ground. The writer takes our attention from the... Um, from the vast freedom of the skies, moves our attention onto the the men who are, of course, locked to the ground. So in terms of structuring our answer, that's a shift. And so we're thinking, let's start a new paragraph in our answer here. And talk about the change in tone primarily, right? So we'll focus on the celebratory atmosphere, the use of the pathetic fallacy, the sunshine to symbolise the Mm -hmm. the enjoyment they had that summer. Yeah. Um, But also how this is juxtaposed with the sense of officialdom and urgency, Mm. that that, um, Cromwell is aware of the paperwork he's got to do. Things will not always be so relaxed. So the shifting tone kind of initially... The men are um, are equal in their enjoyment. You've got the freedom of the birds, the free life of the birds in the sky. Then you've got the men on the ground enjoying this freedom and the sort of celebration of the hunt. But then you get this reminder, you get this shift in tone that tells you that actually there is work to do. Life is not all fun and yeah. fun and games. And we put the point in here on your model answer, which we're not going to read now. Oh. Um, but we could therefore look at this as being a decision to juxtapose the freedom of the birds with actually the sense that the men have this freedom in the summer but that freedom's soon going to come to an end yes so actually perhaps there is a hint of jealousy the men are facing both a literal and a metaphorical winter at this yeah. point I in think there. that brings me to our, definitely to our next paragraph in our model answer that actually there is a structural transition when the when the writer shifts into the second person he start, that means the writer starts talking to you directly yeah. the, the audience the this, this invites us into the moment um, as they enjoy this precious moment at the end of summer but I think what's quite important here is this is also when we're told that autumn is on its way uh-huh. and again as we this this sets up this symbolic idea that not only is the sun setting at this point in the narrative but yeah. summer itself is ending there's a, uh, therefore the the structural decision here to to include us in this is that we we become part of Cromwell's sense of loss a sense of time moving on beyond their control yes and it ends therefore although it ends with this optimistic dialogue that shows their friendship there's the sense perhaps you know will this last through the autumn and through the winter it's, it's certainly hinting that this is not going to remain the way so if we step back and look at that very briefly as the whole kind of thing we started in the sky with this great sense of freedom and joy but also a hint of sadness coming from uh, the loss of Cromwell's family we then move back down to the earth and see that the men are delighting and enjoying in this same freedom but then very subtly the tone begins to change into one of both officialdom and hard work but also suggests that this joy is going to yeah absolutely that this joy will not last forever that the summer is ending both literally and also perhaps metaphorically there is something more unpleasant on the horizon for these men so to sum up what we've done therefore we've looked at where does the focus change what does it change to and why does the writer do it what does it set up Mm. about characters what does it foreshadow what does it set up about the story yes so um do you want to introduce the second extract that we're going to look at so we're going to go straight into another question three so this is from a novel called the reluctant fundamentalist by machine hamid and it's in a section of the novel where a pakistani man named changez in uh 
initiates a conversation with an American stranger in a in a cafe in Lahore. Um, it's a fantastic novel, really interesting themes explored about um, a man who goes to America, delights in the kind of culture of America, the success he has studying in America, but then his experience of being there changes very dramatically in the wake of the September the 11th attacks and, um, and his life takes on a different path accordingly but this is from right at the beginning I've not actually read it but no. this extract is fantastic it made me order it on Amazon oh uh, did it oh, it's, it's made the list fantastic <laughs> it yeah it's um, and again we're not going to read it to you because of time we're already 19 minutes into this podcast never um, fear uh, <laughs> so again pause your podcast now go to back to the handout either on your phone or the version you may have printed out if you're super organized and read example b the extract from the opening and, to the and remember active reading so as you read think where does the focus change what does it change to and why does the writer do this how did what is it said about the character themes ideas go and do it do it now the words welcome back welcome back so the question this extract has been taken from the start of the novel. How has the writer structured the text to interest you as a reader? What does the writer focus your attention on at the beginning? How and why does it, the, the focus change? Are there any other structural features that interest you? So do you want to quickly skim through a bit of a summary um, before we analyse it, just to, yes. to make sure that people know what's happened in the story? So interestingly, all written in the second person, so the, the language is all coming from the, um, from the character Changes, and he is talking to the, uh, the American stranger, but as the reader, we feel he's talking directly to us, right? We are placed so, in the shoes of the American stranger. Absolutely. So it begins with him coming up and offering his assistance and introducing himself to the man. But straight away, he seems to know an awful lot about this stranger. And they starts making a lot of correct, as it turns out, assumptions about him. He then moves the conversation on to how he knows so much about him. And we find out about his time at Princeton University, which is a... Quite a prestigious university yeah, in America. Is it equivalent of Oxford and Cambridge? Yeah, Princeton and Harvard, they're all the same. So very much a top university. He talks about his time there, and you learn of uh, the sort of love he had for America, but right at the end of the extract, you get a hint that it was not all like yeah, there's this. a wonderful line he says, In return, we are expected to contribute our talents to your society. Your society, that's a key hint. Mm. The society we were joining. And for the most part, we were happy to do so. I certainly was, at least at first. What a fantastic end that hints at the troubles to come. It's a brilliant ending, isn't it? And I really, I really enjoyed teaching these, uh, these, both these extracts, actually. I think they're, they're fantastic. Um, so should we jump into the model answer? Yeah, so I think the first thing to look at is, of course, right at the beginning, the use of the second person. We need to analyse why does the writer do this. So we're placed, um, we're placed in this frame narrative. So a frame narrative is when um, you know, there's a story outside the main story. Absolutely, and, yes. And, and we're drawn, therefore, into the telling of the tale. Yes, and he this strong voice that he creates straight away, right? I think there's an there's an element of over familiarity which is really interesting. Straight away, there's almost a sense of discomfort that, that even though this man is being very friendly and seemingly helpful, he knows so much about this man and he's not afraid to say it he and it's makes... this one-sided conversation yes you feel slightly ambushed imagine if I, I i like to i like to imagine that i was sitting happily in in the hall and yeah. some random dude came up to me and started saying all Who this seemingly knows everything about you yeah. yeah it's quite unsettling isn't it so we're putting the 
shoes of the American, as you quite rightly put it. And then also, I think, a sense of discomfort is built. A sense of intrigue. We're interested in why this man so knows so much. But also, from the tone of the conversation, we're also perhaps feeling a little bit interrogated and yeah. wondering why this man is being so overly friendly and knowledgeable about so, us. So, obviously, there is a model answer. We're not going to read it. We're still going to talk you through it. Where's yeah. the first shift that you're identifying for our next paragraph of our answer? Well, we're, we're moving then from the um, sort of introduction and the niceties into then the speaker's knowledge of America and, well, both the local area and of America, um, and then his analysis of the man himself as American. But then the actual action moves, right, and we the man takes us into the tea room. And then do you think the mood changes slightly yeah. once we get into that tea room? So the tea room functions as the, as the location in which we will then learn the story. This is the frame narrative of the novel, mm-hmm. where we, um, like the unnamed American, are sat in this room with Changas, and we hear what he has to say. So therefore, um, the suggestion that the American sits against the wall, again, is just this discomfort. So structure, it seems to foreshadow some sense of tension between the two men. Mm. And given we are supposed to align ourselves with the American, we are placed in his shoes through these the second person. Yeah. This, it implies that, that, that we too perhaps are intended not to trust uh, the speaker. We could call him an unreliable narrator. It's interesting, isn't it? You've kind of got this juxtaposition between someone who's seemingly being really nice and really friendly, and yet at the same time there's a growing sense of unease. The structure seems to suggest that there's a discomfort in this man who we don't hear anything from and therefore we too as the reader perhaps feel a slight sense of unease but then we have a much more sort of profound transition in terms of we move both in place and time right yeah so um we have a moment where the 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 narrative then shifts to tell us his story about america so if you want the technical term this is of course um, a moment of analepsis but we don't need that technical term to get the mark in fact no. you could simply say the writer shifts our attention back into the past yes to establish the reason for the character's knowledge of america so structurally we're okay we've been given this sort of mystery how does this man know so much and then through our shift into the past that mystery is then being answered yeah so we'll start off by saying what it, what are we told about the past but then we've got to say why does the writer do this uh-huh. so while establishing the man's backstory this part of the text creates a sense of mystery as we learn how the speaker came to be interested in the USA. We do not learn how he came to be here. Indeed, the positive tone he employs when desc- first describing Princeton raises questions about why he's no longer in the country. Yeah, he get, he, he talks with Princeton in this incredibly glowing tone. You know, he, he, he saw it as this wonderful place. I think he describes the professors as um, kings and the... Philosopher kings. Philosopher kings, absolutely. And yet, he's no longer there. So we're, we're asked this question, why... What you know? What the mystery is when he enjoyed and loved the country so much. What has happened since then? And I would definitely finish our analysis here by by zooming in on the final line because uh-huh. on this question three, you don't always need to quote. It's not like question two. No. But if there's a really important line that you feel structurally uh-huh. is key to understanding the piece, you probably want to quote it. And for me, that is the one when he says he says he was happy to contribute to society at least at first. Mm. So this ends the piece in a rather ominous tone, suggesting that something went wrong in America, something that, as the title of the novel suggests, 
may have led him towards radicalisation. And if you want to find out uh, whether that's correct or not, you'd have to read the novel. Yeah. So I think, because I mean, that's the other thing, link, if there's something in the title that links you to the, the extract, yeah. you know, the reluctant fundamentalist. Fundamentalism being, of course, um, following you know, a religion or philosophy in a way that is quite do- dogmatic, that's mm. quite, that often, you know, is, is often extremist in its right. views. So this certainly implies, I've not read the novel, mm. that this, is a ma- this, this perhaps is going to be a story of his radicalisation. Yeah. Cool. So that is so, a, um... to summarise, question three. This is, I think, the hardest question of all the language papers. And given I think English language is one of your hardest GCSEs, I think this is probably one of the hardest questions you're going to do. Yeah. Luckily, it's only worth eight marks. Mm-hmm. So that is 10% of your GCSE language paper one and 5% of your overall language. So do not spend an hour on this question no, trying to make no. it perfect. Keep it in context. Up to 15 minutes. But remember our top tips. What does the writer focus on where... Uh-huh. But you're not just doing a plot summary. The most important bit is saying, why does the writer focus on that thing there? Mm. What's the effect? What does it show about characters? What does it show about themes? Um, how does it set up the story? Absolutely. Do that and you will be absolutely fine, right? Yep. Brilliant. Okay, we will be back next time with question four. Yes. Fantastic. In the meantime, you can follow us at G Revision Pod on Twitter. You can email us at englishrevisionpod at gmail.com and please do rate us on iTunes if you're listening on that platform. Yeah, Mr. Forster loves reading the iTunes. I do. It, makes, it, him makes, really it happy. makes him so happy. So yeah, please do do that. Have a lovely week. <laughs>